Good morning. It is always a wonderful privilege to be with you, to worship with you, to open God's word with you. Thank you for faithfulness as has already been pointed out. There is no faithfulness that is not meaningful to God. There is no faithfulness that his hand is not on it. And we know what God does, he does well. And so we should be encouraged by every small and significant aspect of faithfulness to him. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We have been preaching through this book, but we have paused uh, to settle in on uh, one part of chapter 1, which is that we are created in the image of God. We have decided to pause and spend a few weeks here because it, it helps us to better understand ourselves. And it also, uh, and this is an important part of this series, it helps us to address some of the significant issues that are in our culture that we may struggle to know how to interact with, how to navigate. And uh, we want to work through that. Last week, we began our focus on being image bearers by seeing how it speaks to our identity of who we are. And in a way that is similar to that, but continuing on, today we, we look at how being image bearers relates to human worth, the value of life. How we tend to think about the worth of people often is not much more than a version of survival of the fittest. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is worth more to the Kansas City Chiefs than whoever their punter is. Because you don't know who their punter is. You know him. And Patrick makes just a little bit more than their punter. There, there's a value they place upon him. They, they view his worth by what he contributes to the team. And so in like ways, the CEO of a company makes a lot more money than any of the workers. Celebrities, they get the best seats wherever they show up. The president gets Secret Service agents pledged to lay down their lives in protection of him, and you don't. Though we do have Jimmy Johnson <laughs> on our security team with some others, and we, we're grateful for them. And I, I speak to Jimmy often, just making sure he gets in between me and any trouble. So we have, we have sought to address it. Imagine you're in the middle of Philadelphia on one of the city streets. All sorts of people are walking by in front of you. You've been there. You can picture scenes. How are you thinking about the people that you see? 
You're coming to conclusions about them. Uh, you have different ideas of, of some people that perhaps you would like to be in their home or invite you to yours or to sit at a coffee shop. And there's some people you, you might go on the other side of the street so they don't bother you, so you don't have to engage. Where do these thoughts we have about people we don't know come to us? What are these thoughts based on? How do we value people? What is it that works inside us to set value on people and even on ourselves? When we ignore the place of God in our lives and we ignore our relationship with him, we end up with a very reductionist view of life. We end up with survival of the fittest. We end up with who we think benefits us, who we like being with. And, and we, we may not be thinking that we're doing so, but we're assigning value to people based upon rather selfish and often surface reasons. We all sense there's, there's more to the value of someone than these types of surface circumstances and how they look. We, we know there's more to it, but exactly how we get there is kind of muddy water to us. Well, here in Scripture, we, we again are given clarity. That's why we go to Scripture, to receive clarity that we can trust, depend on, build a life upon. And we have clarity about human worth and value right in the first chapter of the Bible. God doesn't take long to bring us to this. Just as he quickly brings us, he immediately brings us to the exaltation of him. He quickly brings us then to the sense of our identity embedded in that is our sense of worth. So Genesis chapter 1, we again will read verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our Heavenly Father, we are in need of what only you can give. Only you can explain life, for it comes from you. Only you have perfect wisdom. Only you are perfectly faithful. We, we ask that you would speak to us, lead our thoughts, bring us to proper conclusions about you, about our world, about ourselves, that we might live in, in a manner worthy of the calling of those who belong to Jesus and draw, 
draw us, draw each one here closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Humanity is introduced with the declaration that we are made in the image of God. That's our first understanding of what it means to be human. And it is foundational then to how we value ourselves. We are God's image bearers. We will not think about our worth correctly if we forget about our creator. There's a lot of things we will not think of correctly if we forget about our creator. As one Bible scholar describes it, the most important thing about man is that he is inescapably related to God. Have you thought about that yourself? What is most important about you? It is that you are related, connected to God. There is, there's nothing more important about you than him. Being image bearers of God is what establishes our worth. I want to take a few minutes to look at this in different ways that our hearts might be helped by this for the sake of our own souls and for the sake of how we engage in life. The first statement about our worth as we think of being image bearers is our worth is found in the worth of God himself. Consider this. We were created to reflect God's character. That's part of being image bearers. We are moral beings, God-reflective beings, God-reflective beings, God's character, which is all and only glorious, and we were shaped and formed and caused to be that we might reflect God himself. And we represent God's gracious rule in the world. What we were given to do, we see in verse 26, to represent God in, in the rule and stewardship of the world we've been placed in. God's work, which is good, we were made to share in that work and represent him in it. There is Nothing even remotely comparable to resembling God's heart or to share in God's work. Indeed, this, this single reason alone is sufficient for us to be convinced of worth. But there is more. Not only is our worth found in the very worth of God whose image we bear, 
our worth is also secondly displayed in the reality that God sent his son to redeem us. The incarnation declares our worthiness that the eternal son would eternally step into human nature, not for a time, not for a little while to accomplish something. He joined himself to our nature and a human body forever. God in flesh declares the worth God sees upon humanity. He would not withhold even his son. Incarnation and sacrifice. The willingness of Jesus to pay the greatest price ever required to suffer more than any suffering any being would endure. Jesus took that upon himself. He paid the price to set us free, to remove the entirety of sin's guilt. Jesus did not die to improve your life. Jesus died to remove all guilt and make you who was a sinner and rebellious to make you completely acceptable, presentable to his holy father. He made you fit to stand before God. And he took on every price and payment required to do it. That is what we call the gospel. We were sinners under the judgment of God, far from God, blind to God, uncaring of God, despising the realities of God. And God became man to change that. We cannot... We would not. He could. He did. On the cross, Jesus paid for the sins of all who would come to him. And so if you would come and call for him to make himself clear, to take the guilt of your sins, he responds to every honest call, every one. And Even that is not the end of it, for then Jesus unites himself to us. The phrase that Paul so often uses in his New Testament letters that we are in Christ. We are so joined to Christ. He has so bound himself to us that we share what he did. He conquered sin, Satan, death, and so we do too because we are in Christ. He was 
raised from the dead. We will be raised. He will live forever in eternal body. We will. He is the beloved of the Father. We are the beloved of the Father. The Spirit poured himself without measure to him, and so the Spirit is sent to us. All that is true of what Christ accomplished is so connected to us that when we come to Christ, we cannot be. It is a theological impossibility to separate us from Christ or his love or work. What is the worth of being an image bearer? The worth of our God, the worth of his son sent to save us. Thirdly, our worth then is enjoyed when we know and love Christ. Now that's counterintuitive to the common fiction we we spoke last week of much of the fiction that people use to come to their identity. One of the fictions we would have of, what does it mean to enjoy my worth? And we think of it as focusing on ourselves. How else do we enjoy our worth than to be selfish, self-focused, it is about me, I am worth it, perspective. But that will hollow out your soul. We increasingly hear, even the U.S. Surgeon General says we are in a loneliness epidemic. The reality that people living surrounded by others are filled with loneliness, despair, leading them to addictions, leading their hearts in trying to make things work, to try to force relationships, to abuse relationships. It is causing young people to be so confused about themselves, which we'll talk about in another week. It leads to suicides, which are increasing in number. It is devastating the human soul. Because we have detached ourselves from the life of God himself. We deny the realities of our very being as image bearers. We are following the lie that somehow we just came to be or that we are in control of what we are and God is set aside and we are left with that which cannot stand. Worth is most enjoyed when it is attached to love. I, I deeply appreciate any compliment that I receive from any of you. But there's one person who happens to be in the room whose words to me and about me are worth to me and my soul more than yours. When Debbie speaks kind words, there is something about that. 
which fills my heart. Because despite knowing more about me than you do, which might mitigate some of your kind words, you might find out that everything he says from the pulpit he doesn't do. Love, love just gives it a life to being seen with worth. And nobody loves better than Jesus. Unconditionally, unceasingly, in your worst moments, at your ugliest, when you despair of yourself, the love of Jesus is poured out. You are swimming in it, whether you feel it or not. He is incapable of anything else for his beloved than to pour out love. Do you want to enjoy worth that God created you with? No, Jesus. Love Jesus. Be near to Jesus. And your heart will overflow. And then fourthly, our worth is cultivated by serving Christ. Our worth is cultivated we don't get it from serving Christ. He, he gives it freely, but it, it, it blossoms and its, its full expression in and through our lives is seen as we serve Christ. Think about first responders and how they are universally seen as having positions in life of great worth. When we lose a first responder in their duty. Their, their names are memorialized in ways that's not true of others. I'm not aware of any monument anywhere around of the faithful pastors over the years. But there are lots of monuments for first responders, and I don't minimize that worth at all, how thankful we are. But, but I would say that what people need most is the person of Christ. And so to live in a way that exalts Christ, reveals Christ, points to Christ, is the most meaningful, wondrous, purposeful, worthy way to live. Because he is who people need most. And with other believers, as we engage with them, it is Christ that they need to see clearly more. It's, it's Christ that needs to be lifted when they tend to minimize him as they maximize their burdens or hurts. It is the person of Christ that they need to see as wondrous again. Just this last week, 
texting back and forth with Pastor Michael in Ukraine. He was just so burdened. A young man grew up in his church, 22, married five months, who died in battle. And Michael was here. I didn't have anything to give for the funeral. He was just so beaten down by this horrid, senseless, brutal war. I can't make that better. I can't fix anything. I just shared something of Christ, his grace, he is real. And he responded of how his soul was helped. He said, that's what I needed to think freshly of Christ. That's true in extreme situations. It's true in ordinary ones. Are you living for the expectations of people and trying to find worth in that? We have responsibilities to people, but we're not to live under the expectations of people. Exchange that for being faithful to God. How do you meet expectations of people who can't even meet their own? but you can be faithful. Whatever little you have, whether it's resources or you feel intellect or gifting, you can be faithful. Every day, you can be faithful. And each moment, you don't even know what to do. You can be faithful to God. It is what we can always be, faithful. And to that, God says, well done. Is is there something more you want at the end of life than for God to say, well done? In that moment, you will want nothing to take its place. There will be nothing richer to your soul than for God to say, well done. And what does he declare well done for? Good, faithful servant. So we, we've considered why and how it is that being image bearers speaks to worth for our own souls, how we see others. In our remaining time, uh, I want to apply this to the culture that we make corrections that we see clearly significant issues in culture. What does it mean being in the image of God? The worth that implies, how does that speak to culture? And I think the, the most obvious when we're speaking of human worth and life is that the truth of worth leads us to properly value the unborn. How could it be that this is a divisive, difficult issue? To value 
the unborn. Those whom we universally gush over and delight in the moment they leave the womb and the, the moment before there are some, and you can use no other word than rabidly rejoicing in, rejoicing in what they would call the right to terminate the life of those image bears who are just on the other side of their mother's womb. It matters how we think about worth. Not just before God, but in how people even would think about abortion. It, it shows how we think about worth shapes the way we think and what we defend what we think is important. It has great significance. Defenders of abortion use language that distracts us from the core truth. Choice, reproductive rights. No one's attacking people making choices. So we're certainly not attacking the right to be reproductive. We are simply saying there is an image bearer involved. What is at stake are the lives of those in the image of God. And this is not to bash anyone here who has had an abortion where again, God has oceans of grace. But we cannot ignore how God cherishes the unborn. We cannot stop our ears to what God has already said about the unborn. To remind us, let's look at Psalms 139, the book of Psalm, chapter 139, beginning with verse 13. For you, speaking to God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. The unborn child is not an unknown. It is a person whom God already deeply loves and knows as a person. He goes on, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days formed for me, the plans of God already established, when as yet there were no days. God had plans for those days. And so the truth of worth, it leads us to properly value the unborn. The second application of this 
is that people with severe disabilities are not less worthy. They're not less human. They're not less image bearers. Now, no one would say they are. And yet, in practice, those with severe disabilities are often treated like furniture. I was reading a book of someone who through a debilitating disease now is in a wheelchair, a well-known person, and he described how people speak to the person pushing the chair, not even to him. When they want to know something about, they're, they're here to help that person, and they speak past them to the one pushing the chair, as though the one in the chair is just a part of the chair, the furniture. I read a book, it's called Ghost Boy. Uh, a man, Martin Pistorius, grew up in South Africa, was 12 when he became very ill and went into a vegetative state and was completely vegetative for a few years. And then he estimates around the age of 16, his mind began to wake up. He remained vegetative. He couldn't speak. He couldn't move. Only his eyes could move. And his mind became more and more aware until he was fully cognizant of what was going around him. And he describes how people treated him in the care center where he was during the day as his parents worked. People just shoveling food in regardless of temperature, burning his mouth. They just had to get it done. He spoke how Barney reruns just played endlessly. It drove him crazy. Hour after hour of Barney reruns. They just stuck it on the TV noise and leave it. Even... spoke of those who abused his unmoving body. To them, Martin was an object. He was not an image bearer. How should the church engage the severely disabled? It can be challenging. I asked someone who has worked with special needs children for 37 years, just for their thoughts, and this is what they wrote. God made people with disabilities in his image. And that fact alone gives them true human dignity and a reason to exist. They have the capacity to love and to give, to serve and connect, and to communicate in their own way. People with disabilities may have broken bodies or limited minds, but they reflect their creator. Mirroring a God who was pleased to make them in his image. 
and they are a vital part of the church family. People often feel that those with disabilities will not understand the gospel, but it is God who changes hearts. Even in those who cannot read, understand a lot, or communicate, they are worthy for us to share God's word with them, and God can use it to change their hearts. And think how we saw for many years Eddie Cleva's example of that. He was not only God's image bearer, but in his own way, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was God's evangelist. And numbers of people are in the kingdom today because of a young man who could not speak and never walk. We seek to be committed in our church and children's ministry to engage and involve those who come with disabilities to be a part of the mix of life because they're a part of the church. And I recognize as a teacher that, that can be hard. It is a challenge. But is it not a worthy challenge, not only for their soul, but for your soul. A third example is that we, third application, we must take abuse seriously. This is not a minor issue. Four years ago, I was approached to be part of a newly formed national committee for Sovereign Grace Churches, our denomination, a response committee for sexual abuse that would serve all the Sovereign Grace Churches, both in providing guidance to how churches navigate protecting those under their care, but also to be available so that if anyone in any of the churches has abuse affect their home, their family. In any way, we are available to help and serve them. I, I was asked to be a part of that committee, and my, I thanked them and immediately thought, how do I get out of this? Because I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. And family members told me, no, no, you, sh you should do that. How thankful I am because it has helped me to be a better pastor simply by opening my understanding of a huge world of pain that I, I didn't grasp. One out of four girls conservatively will be sexually abused, one out of six boys will be sexually abused. The abuse of child to child is an exploding category because of what 
children are being exposed to. And when you go outside of the United States, these statistics just explode. And all this to say that it is an issue we, we take seriously, we look at, we have given ourselves to, and we don't want to. Every call is an ugly call. Every thought of abuse is a horrible, horrible thing to think about. We don't want to, and then are not wanting to. We don't care and serve as we should. If you are an abuser, sexually, physically, in any way, if you are an abuser, it is an evil without excuse. There is no excuse you can fashion that will remove the hand of God coming. God despises it. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now, that context is speaking of the killing of another person, but the point is clear. When we set our hand against someone else, God is not pleased for they are an image bearer. If you have been victimized by abuse, know it is not your fault. Fault is totally on the abuser. It is never the fault of someone to be abused. And know that Jesus receives you and he desires to heal as slow as that can take. And know that your church wants to be a place of safety and care for you. And no, no one will think less of you because of what happened against you. If you are aware or suspect abuse, our first priority, and this is important to hear, our first priority is always to those who cannot protect themselves. This is where the church often goes wrong, and I've seen this multiply itself. We are rightfully quickly focused on redeeming sinners as we should be. But there, there's a first issue. And the first issue is not leaping to help an abuser change. It is to give ourselves totally to the protection of the one abused. That is to receive our full attention. And that modifies what takes place with an abuser. We always protect and throw ourselves into caring for those who cannot care for themselves. And the idea, if I report, it's going to ruin a life. They have already done that. They have already ruined lives. And what may happen consequentially to them, they have brought in. The one who reports has not. This is why in children's ministry, you cannot serve without going through awareness training. 
It's why every couple years you have to renew awareness training. We want to be serious with it. And, and through Sovereign Grace Churches, there is training available. Awareness training, there is institute training that is extensive in understanding, responding to sexual abuse. If you have any interest in wanting to serve or help people that have been abused, you want to understand it. If for parents training, all of it is free, completely always free to any member of any Sovereign Grace Church. Sovereign Grace pays for that every year completely for anyone who wants training, who needs training, who wants to understand. And you can contact us. You could access any of that because we believe it's that important. We move to the last area of correction. That we are called to rethink our perspective about the outcast. Jesus' ministry highlights the outcast of his day. Think of the Gospels. How often does the leper appear? Those who physically were unclean and people were fearful of them. They had to go around yelling unclean when they're in public. The lepers brought up over and over again. Our emphasis is placed on the leper, on the Samaritan, those ethnically who were despised by the Jews. Samaritans are featured both when they would appear and in parables. Jesus dealt with thousands and thousands of people. All sorts of examples could have been used. Scripture points us to the leper. Scripture points us to the Samaritan. Scripture points us to the prostitute, the unclean woman. We are given this sense that Jesus' ministry was to them. Every person you've ever looked at with disgust is an image bearer. Every person you've ever been frustrated with because of their sin is an image bearer. Everyone you don't know what to do is an image bearer. And so we have the responsibility to ask God to help us with his agenda for them. It is sin that leads to the ugliness in people's lives, but is also sin that leads us to see that ugliness without any grace. That's also sin, because God looked at our ugliness with grace that continues to pour out. Perhaps you're the one who feels like an outcast, or at least ignored, marginalized. Do you feel devalued, rejected, damaged, irreclaimable? That's not how your creator sees you. He, he sees the reality of it all, and he sent his son. And his son Jesus says, come to me. I will not cast you out. Come to me. 
I will restore. I will make you whole. Jesus says, come. Would you pray? Our Heavenly Father, we ask for grace beyond my words that your heart would be received. Lord, if I have spoken with undue harshness, may your heart be heard and seen. Help us. And we only ask because you have said of your love for us that we, we can come and ask. And so we do. Help us with where we are torn inside. Help us with where we struggle with a world so corrupted in thinking and hurting and it exhausts us and we don't know what to do and at times our actions are even spurned, but help us for how you have reached past spurning hearts so often you did with us. Bring the grace that brings us to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.